And singing with all their heart, huh? I like that. That was good. Thanks for being here. A bunch of you showed up. Hey, everybody over there. Good. Got the wings full tonight. Hey. Good to see you. Man, it's just fun being together, huh? I'm in Texas, right? Yeah. Because I thought, Dallas, isn't Dallas playing tonight? You guys are here, man. That's a... I'm impressed. I was like, well, I'm in Texas. It's the wrong week. Ain't nobody coming. I figured it was, I figured it was me and, and Greg and a couple people. But... <laughs> but I was wrong. So the rest of the night, I'll purpose to be right. Amen. And God. No, I'm just having fun with you. I just realized Dallas was playing today. I don't follow a lot of football just because I travel every weekend. So I watch football because I'm away and I'm preaching. But it hit me today that they were playing. I thought, uh-oh. Some good songs, huh? We really ought to believe them. I mean, He really loves us, people. Like, like His love is amazing. Like His love sees what He created you for. It sees your potential, your purpose, your destiny. No preacher in my life, that's because I didn't know you guys, no preacher in my life ever told me that Jesus died on the cross to redeem my value. They just always told me He died on the cross because I was a sinner. Yeah, that's right. And what it left me was a hopefully forgiven sinner that had no hope of change, just forgiveness. That's how I heard the Gospel my whole life. He died on the cross because I'm a sinner. No, He died on the cross because I was a lost son and He wanted to read Him a truth and put His life back inside of me. He had to die because I sinned. My sin cost Him His life. I don't make light of that. That's a serious thing. He chose to die in my place. He died as me. He died for me. He died for you. He was made to be sin so we could become right in the sight of God. He must think a lot about what that looks like. He must think a lot about His life inside of us. Don't miss that in Christianity. Don't just turn this into a prayer for heaven and hope He blesses you the rest of your days. Hey, I'm waiting to go to heaven. I'm going to ride through hell now, but I'll make it one day. Don't, don't, Don't do that. He must think a lot about what it looks like when He's in you and you're surrendered. He must think that's a big deal and worth paying for. Because see, if you don't preach the Gospel really clear, it doesn't compel people to love Him. It com- people feel indebted to the Lord. They feel like they owe Him something for what He did, but if they don't totally understand why He did it and see what He did, they can never see His first love, and you can't love God first unless you see His first love. So it doesn't surprise me that we preach kind of a piece of the Gospel. And it never really just goes BAM! So sometimes we just get tricked incorporating Him into our life or thinking, you know, I probably ought to get back to church. Hey, I ain't read my Bible for a while. You know, I probably ought to pick it up. Anybody ever hear this stuff? Think this stuff? Do this stuff? Come on, it's a sure sign that we haven't got it. You know, praying, blessing our food. Now I lay me down to sleep. It's like we're reaching. <laughs> Be careful, because I'm about ready to come on. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. I'm happy. You see, I'm happy, right? You know, I ain't mad at nobody. Last night, I wasn't mad at nobody. This morning with you men, 
Just telling you who you are. I got on a plane and flew here because he invited me and I picked him out of a stack of a bunch because I knew him from way back and haven't seen him for a while. And I said, man, I'd just come to see you guys. If anything, it'd be awesome. And I just had a bigger vision than that. I was glad to see you all. But I flew here to tell you who you are. You might already know. It'd be good to be reminded. You might not know. It'd be good to shout it out. I didn't come to correct you. I didn't come to set you straight. I don't have judgments about you. I don't believe you're in this service because you're a hypocrite. I, I'm not mad at nobody. I'm excited that He shed His blood for the redemption of our lives and I want to make sure we understand. I'm excited that He wants to put His life inside of me, not just pave the way for me to walk into heaven someday, whatever that really means. I think He wants to put heaven into us. And we're waiting to go to heaven and He wants heaven in us. That's why your identity is always under attack. That's why that song meant so much to that young lady. It, life is always trying to tell you who you are. People, conversations, memories, upbringing, childhood, home life. Everything is trying to shout out to you who you are and what you're worth and what you'll be. And none of it's true. Unless you believe it. You'll make it seem true. And find it wasn't in the end. Most people at a very young age are nothing more than a product of what they've been through and how they've responded. That's why people cling to their stories, their past, yesterday. They cling to their story, whether it's good or bad, because it's the only place they ever found any sense of identity. And they've identified themselves along the way, so it's part of them. Their past is part of them. And in the Gospel, that's totally unscriptural. Your past is dead. It has nothing to do with who you are now. Nothing to do. Like you have to die to live. Like it doesn't matter that my dad was an alcoholic. It's irrelevant that he never said I love you. It has nothing to do with nothing now that Christ has come. You say, well, I can't receive the love of the Father because I didn't have a loving Father. Why are you relating the two? Why does it even make sense to relate the two to the church? Why do we even make it make sense? Why am I trying to find the love of God through a loving Father and when the love of the Father comes, I say I can't receive it because of the picture of my dad. I don't find the love of God through my Father if He's not living in the Spirit. I find the love of God through His Son. It's totally irrelevant that my dad was an alcoholic. It's a trap, a strategy of sin, trying to sweep away another generation. Get me to get angry, harden my heart, feel sorry for myself. Get mad at God for letting it happen. And all of a sudden the good news comes and I don't hear anything good because I'm mad. And what about me? And where was he then? I'll tell you where he was. At the right hand of Almighty God speaking better things through His blood over your life. And you're busy being offended and living in a very shallow form of wisdom called the world. <laughs> I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm not mad at all. Can you tell? I'm fired up. The Spirit of God is inside of me. And there's nothing I can do about it now. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Man, I'm going to have fun. <laughs> You're all sitting ducks, man. <laughs> Come on, you.
you know what I'm talking about. How many of us a dime a dozen have just made an excuse about yesterday? Well, I'm only this way because, and I'm only this because, and if this wouldn't, I wouldn't be. Why are we letting everything matter more than what matters most? Why are we finding ourselves through what was instead of what is? Why are we letting today be ruled by yesterday so tomorrow is yesterday? Real messed up, and it happens all the time to good people that mean well. You can't make up for what wasn't. You can't take back what happened. Nobody can take away the way they touched you wrong. My dad can't rewrite the years. It's happened. It's there. It's a, it's a memory. It, has to, it doesn't have to have any power over today except to teach me what to never be. People say, well, I, I smoke pot because I grew up with my parents smoking pot. Well, how was it at home? Probably a good reason not to smoke pot. Well, I drink because my dad, dad drunk. Probably a good reason to never drink. And then we just say, well, generational curse, brother. I don't drink. I didn't drink before I was a Christian. You know why? I saw what it did to my family. And I was mad, and I got bigger, I got older, and I stood up to my dad, and I was ready to punch him out. I was so mad at my dad. But I never lost my cool that way. I challenged him a little bit, but I had to pick him up drunk at the bar, and he couldn't even walk, and he cursed me the whole way home, and tell me he'd never be, I'd never be nothing. Why? Because he knew he wasn't nothing. And he had nothing to give me, and he was mad at everything. And he was a dry cup, and if I'm trying to drink out of a dry cup, of course I'm thirsty. And then I met someone that said, if you ask me, I will give you a drink. And one drink, just one drink, and you will never, ever thirst again. He's talking about fulfillment. He's talking about identity. He's talking about knowing who I am through him. He's talking about walking in the knowledge of truth. Woo! Yeah. I'm not called to get my identity through my daddy. Matthew 23, 9. I got scripture on all this stuff or I wouldn't preach it. He said, call no man on earth your father. That don't mean I can't send my dad a Father's Day card. It doesn't mean I sin before the Lord. What he's saying is don't limit, regulate, and identify yourself through natural biological means. You came forth from the beginning and your roots go back to him. And you have one father and he's in heaven. And you get tricked and say, well, I can't receive the love of God because, well, you don't know what it was like when I was growing up, brother. Stop it. You're 35. You're not growing up. And it's time to put that away. And I'm not being insensitive. Because I had that daddy that never said, I love you. I had a mama that was sick. I carried her to bed when I was a young man. I changed her diapers. Don't you tell me I don't understand hardship. You say, well, I was touch strong. Wonder if I was. It, we're, we're, it's useless to exchange our horror stories. It means nothing. It's not about what we've been through. It's about what He went through. Amen. And we don't even talk about that. We just talk about our story. But it's His story where you find life. Why am I writing a book about all my journeys and horror stories? Be careful with those books. And what I had to go through to get where I'm at. What, what, what? Be careful. What about what he went through? 
to make me something that I never knew I was. He knew. And He's showing me now. Are you with me? Come on, guys. I'm having a good time, man. These guys, man, they're relentless. They just want to sit and talk the gospel all day. So they brought me to their house. So guess what we've been doing all weekend? I'll be laying in my bed tonight. Speaking the gospel probably in my sleep. You know what was beautiful? When I got saved, my dad freaked out on me. He was so challenged by it because it looked like I was saying something positive. Looked like I just might become something. Looked like I just might have a hope that he didn't have in front of him. And he screamed at me and pointed at me and you listen to me and who you are, who do you think you are coming in here and telling me and trying to... And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on right now. I thought they'd be happy. But because I was truly saved and I didn't get saved for their applause, when he didn't receive it, I didn't change. Sometimes we say things for approval. And when we don't get the approval, we're shattered. When you're shattered, your motive is exposed. When you buy a gift for someone and cry when they don't like it, you didn't buy the gift for them. You bought it for you. To feel good when they praised you. Oh, I'm going. The leash is unhooked. There's no turning back. So the best you could do is get up and walk out, and you won't because I'm preaching too good. <laughs> I'm just having fun. My dad freaked out on me. He screamed at me. And in my face, pointing and red faced, and I didn't even know what was going on. And I stood there and I was like, I don't even know what's going on. I was 12, 14 hours old in the Lord. And I'm like, I wonder what I did. So I had to go to work. So my mom was upset and she said, guys, the Lord wouldn't be pleased with this. I said, mom, I'm sorry. I don't even know what I did. Sorry, dad. I didn't mean to. I just came to tell you guys I got born again. I thought you'd be happy. So I just came to tell you. But I'm sorry if I made you mad, dad. You just just get out of here. So I left. I was heading out the foyer. I got to the door. And I said, Lord, I don't even know what's going on right now. I'm 12, 14 hours saved. I said, Lord, I don't even know what's going on. And like the answer to a question, like if I had earbuds in. Your dad's walking in a pride that he doesn't see. He has a belief, lifelong belief, lifelong belief that it's not right for a child to teach a dad. It's only right for a dad to teach a child. He felt upstaged by you in front of mine. And I went, what? I just turned around and went back in. (laughs) And I opened the door. And when somebody's frustrated, when you walk out and they're still frustrated, guess what they do? Take it out on the closest person and usually the most innocent, fragile person. So guess what my dad's doing? He's screaming at my mom on my behalf. And I popped open the door. And he heard the door and he looked up and there I'm standing. 
And I said, hey, Dad. I said, I just realized something in my heart. You felt upstaged by me like, like insulted, like I was trying to teach you or tell you something. You've always had this belief that it's wrong for a son to teach a dad. It's only right for a dad to teach a son. Dad, I wasn't trying to teach you anything. I was just sharing some good things that happened. But the honest truth is, Holy Spirit's amazing. Watch what he told me to say. I said, Dad, I'm not three and I'm not 13. I'm 33. And you know what? There just might be a time in life where I bump into something and see something you ain't never saw. And there might be something that I know that you've never known. And it's just okay. I love you. And I walked out. Four months later, I'm over there visiting. Because I went often because mama and sick and helping and carry her to bed. I'm coming out and my dad grabs me by the back of the arm on the porch when I'm leaving. I turn around, he grabs me by the arm. I'm turning around and he's just crying his eyes out. I said, what's wrong? Are you okay? He said, I want to tell you, I've been watching you and you're a different man. He said, for the first time in my life, I heard my daddy say this and I wasn't waiting for him to say it and I didn't even need him to say it. It was good for him to say it. Because here's what some people say. Lord, I just pray for my parents to appreciate me. I just pray for the day my dad says he loves me. My dad never said he loved me. And I want my dad to say he loves me. That's idolatry. You're letting your whole disposition weigh on the performance of your dad and you're hinging it on prayer, calling it spiritual. It's insecurity. You're keeping a vacuum alive and you need to push it aside and say whether he says it or not, it doesn't matter because I'm fulfilled in Christ and I'm walking in love. I don't need it anymore. I'm giving it. Come on! Here's how I know that's right. Because the other way around is fruitless and never produces anything good. And it gives you an excuse to be weak or broken or hurt or discouraged or depressed. And none of that sounds like the kingdom. And none of that's ever produced life. He looked me right in the eyes. He said, son, I'm so proud of you. And thank God I wasn't going... I looked him right back in the eyes. And I said, that's awesome. I said, so what about you? If you see this as a good thing in me, then what about it being a good thing in you? And I started backing up. And I am just got him. I'm like, fire! Ah! No, no, see, you guys like that. You like that fire thing. You're like, ah! You just want people to fry, don't you? I'm coming over here. You guys are tamer. So, maybe. You're playing me, ain't you? You're playing me. You're playing me. Guess what happened to my dad? He got saved through my salvation. That sure beats being a hurt son, mad at God, hard in my heart, hard in my heart, lost years, never make up for my childhood. You were never there for me. Well, how would you know you were drunk? Hello? And all of a sudden, I'm reduced to letting where a man isn't determine where I am. To let what a man doesn't see decide what I do see. 
And worse yet, I'm letting one man determine me, and unfortunately his name isn't Jesus. You see how deceived that is? And it's happened to many of us over and over and over. We say, well, I wouldn't be this way if they didn't. Well, they're the one that started it. Well, you need to talk to them. Well, they shouldn't. Well, how come? Well, I wouldn't even. Did you ever hear Jesus talk like that? So he didn't teach us that. So where did we learn that? It's called in the camp of every man living for himself. And if you become a Christian, guess what the first prerequisite is for Christianity? It's not come to the altar and pray this prayer after me. It's deny yourself. You know what got every one of us in so much trouble? Waking up and living for ourselves. When you're made for His image. For His goodness. For His glory. It's the biggest problem on the planet. I'm not the wisest man that you ever met. I know my hair's white and I'm wise, but... I'm not a politician. I'm not a philosopher. I just love Jesus. So I don't have all the answers, but I love Him and I can talk about Him good. But I do feel like I'm onto something on this. I, I don't believe the problem on the earth, the big problem on the earth, is politics. I don't believe it's the president. I don't believe it's racial conflict. I don't believe it's ISIS and terrorism. I personally believe the biggest problem on the planet is that every day, people, even Christians, Wake up and live for themselves instead of His image. The biggest pro- Why would God give you grace to travel a road you weren't created for? No wonder people are weak and tired. No wonder people think life is tough. No wonder people say, I can't go much further. Because you're living outside of why you're here. And you're not being empowered by His grace. Are you with me? This is a big deal. He said, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow. He didn't say pray a prayer to go to heaven and cry out to me when you're in despair. Deny yourself. It's the biggest problem in your life. It's not the people around you. It's the absence of me in you. We blame everything around us, man. We got excuses. We got ourselves so justified for not being like Him. (laughs) It's a lie, man. Deny yourself. It's what got us all in trouble. I'm glad you're here, guys. Hope House is in the house. Glad they're here. I love recovery, man. I love redemption. It's a picture of the gospel. It's, God, it's not about where you've been and what you've done. It's about what you're becoming. It's about your heart changing. It's about saying, you know what? I lived for myself for 30 straight years, man, in the grossest, craziest way. But when I was 30, I died to everything I was so everything that He is can come alive in me. Now you're 31 and before God, you don't even have a yesterday. And men remember what you did. And people remember what you did. And people relive what you did. And heaven doesn't even remember it. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, He's made you holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. When you come sincere and say, forgive me, Lord, duh, what was I thinking? What was I doing? I'm all yours. Bam! Everything here dies. 
It's that quick, man. Bam. So I'm determined not to let any of the psychological impacts and effects roll over into my life so that nothing from yesterday that he called dead is lingering and influencing me today. Come on. If yesterday's dead, why should I let yesterday and the pain and the stuff and the things roll over and influence me today? i got a new way of thinking, a new way of living. See, you could have done me wrong yesterday, and I'm thinking how to get even, pay back, and what's the way to even the score? In new life, I don't see for what you did wrong. How can I love you? How can I forgive? How can I most sincerely pray? How can I give to you if you despitefully use me? Use me. How can I pray for you if you've done me wrong? It's a whole different world, man. It's a whole different life. You can't carry the old into the new. You can't put new wine in an old wineskin. You cannot read the Scripture. It will burst. And the wine will spill out everywhere. He's new wine. He's new life. He's a new and living way. He's a fresh drink from God. He's the quenching of my thirst. And you cannot put new wine in an old wineskin. Don't incorporate Him into your life. Guys, don't just, don't just try to get clean so you never use again. The goal isn't never using again. The goal is becoming the men He paid for you to be. The goal is living up to what He paid for. And letting your lives be redeemed by the goodness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not here just to stay clean. Because if you become the men you're created to be, you'll wonder why you were using. Yeah? And you ain't going to try to not use. You're going to enjoy being in Him. <laughs> you get it? Hope House is in the house. <laughs> Where are you guys from? Hamilton. Thanks for being here. I was in a recovery center last week. They house 150 in-house. I was there all weekend pouring out my heart. It's my favorite, it's my favorite place to minister, recovery groups. Because the gospel is so redemptive. And in addictive lifestyles, there's so many lies. So many lies. You get ingrained with so many lies. It, Degrade you. The, the reason most people are in addictive behavior is because of low esteem, low self-value. They blow up their, their own worth and their own sense of honor. And then you live up to the low level in which you see yourself. And which others see you. And after you have no more answers, you just stay in a place. It's kind of like avoidance, denial, whatever. The Gospel blows all that out of the water, man. And puts you on solid ground. And God through His blood says, I know where you've been and I know what you've done, but I know who you're created to be. And I'm willing to come in you, work with you, stand by you, never leave you, never forsake you, and get you to that finish line if you're willing to run with me. That's it, man. I was in that ministry last week. I, I, told, the, I told the leader I love him so much. I said, he said, you are such a blessing. I was there a year before too. And I told him, they told me I could come back anytime. I said, are you serious? Don't just say that. Because I'm coming back. 
And the reason I want to go back every year because I don't go to places over and over again because I feel like the message is foundational and I've got to get out and plow as much ground as I can and sow as many seeds as I can. I'm Danny Gospel Seed, man. I've got to just keep. <laughs> I just gotta... That's what I do, man. That's my life right there, buddy. I just throw in seed all over the world and I go to sleep and wake up and go, how do you do it, God? Kingdom of God is if a man scatters seed. Kingdom of God isn't that a man complains and has issues and complains and justifies why he's not doing good. Kingdom of God is scattering seed. And if you're complaining, you ain't scattering seed. If you're discouraged, you ain't scattering seed. If you're angry, you ain't scattering seed. If you're frustrated, you ain't scattering seed. If you've got rightness in your heart, you ain't scattering seed. If you think something's unfair and you're taking it personally, you ain't scattering seed. And you ain't bearing no fruit to Him. And in this He's well pleased that you bear fruit. Don't you be deceived in this hour and miss why He lives inside of us. Don't you let things matter more than what matters most because it's all about walking in the light as He's in the light. And any mentality, any mood, any emotion, any thought pattern that quenches the light is certain deception because if you don't shine, then why did He light you up? Who lights a lamp and puts a basket over it? (laughs) Yeah. Pretty good word, ain't it? I knew if you'd give me a mic, I'd preach the gospel. He changed my life. I, I'm not preaching my doctrine and sermon. I cry out these things everywhere I go. I feel like I preach the same thing over and over and over. It's what I see. It's what I've become. It's what I've tasted. It's what's good. I live with me. You just see me for a weekend and go, is he for real? I live with me. And I like it. I'm going to bed with me tonight. I'm waking up with me tomorrow. I'm going to look in the mirror. It's going to be me. And I'm good with it. Because I like me now. Man, I used to not like me. I needed you to like me to feel likable. And I was always at your mercy. You had the power to make me or break me. And I was only as strong as the weakness around me. That day's been over for a long time. (laughs) I sleep so good at night, it's ridiculous. People say, you have dreams. Old men dream dreams. (laughs) I've got no dreams. You get dreams? Man, I knew you were old, Greg. I didn't know. (laughs) You're a fossil, man. I don't get no dreams. I don't even have one knowledge of one dream for years and years. People say, well, I need to pray for you. I say, leave me alone. God don't need to put me to sleep to talk to me. I'm listening when I'm awake. <laughs> Here's what happens to me. They provided me this amazing room. This amazing room. He asked me, how was the room? I'm like, how was the room? I was looking for a place to swipe my credit card. Are you kidding? <laughs> It's like I came out in the middle of the night. I was looking for a swiper. <laughs> Gave me this amazing room. You know what's going to happen tonight? I'm going to be so excited and ramped up because of the night. I'm so alive in the gospel. I'm not like, boy, I've been preaching all day, the morning, people to house all afternoon. Phew, so glad the service is over. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for this bed. I don't even know what that is. I just see that all, all my life. I've never like crawled in the bed and hugged the pillow and made love to the pillow and said, oh God. Because when you do that, you can't get up in the morning. 
Because you can't face what you could hardly get through. We call it depression. I just think it's wrong believing. We're going to be on a boat together for like six or seven days. It's going to be fun. I'm already loving it. Was it her that was going thinking about putting on some men's clothes and coming this morning? What? He rebuked her. <laughs> she going to put on some pants and a little. She was going to dress up like a man. He said, "No, you ain't." She said, "Do you think I could just dress up like a man and get away?" No. That's hunger. I'm going to go in that bed tonight. I'm going to be ramped up. I'm going to go to bed by faith. You do everything by faith. I'm not joking. I'm going to go to bed by faith. I'm going to lay down and I'm going to be like, oh Lord, this thank you is so, so, oh God, you're so good. <laughs> and I'll be out cold. About five hours later. It's about five hours. That's exactly what happens. I don't move. I don't roll. I don't shift. I don't. I lay down and I go. It's like a battery charger. It's like I can't even picture it red, light red. It's just green, man. But I'm. And then about five hours. That's my life every day. You know why? Perspective. Don't think for myself at all. I don't think how many people are going to call me, track me down, want to ask me questions, want a piece of me. I gave my life to Jesus. I gave my life to people. And I'm already weighing what's on my plate and it's so early. Oh my goodness, I haven't been in bed that long and i got a long day. I'm going to be tired. Why do I have to wake up and pee in the middle of the night? Stuff like that. We do that stuff. I'm not going to set my day because of those things. I'm going to set my day in Him. I'm going to wake up every day to the rest, for the rest of my life and know that nobody owes me a thing. Nobody has the power to break my heart. I woke up for one reason. To pursue being more like Him. And to live by His Spirit and to walk in love. And if I didn't wake up for that, you've got to wonder what you're waking up for. Because if you're just waking up for a better day, for somebody to do you right, you're already set up to be failed. And then they're going to re- be your reason for not being okay. And now you're going to have a story, an excuse. And, I, and then the three people that understand your language that are walking in pain too become your friends. And then they're your support system so there's no hope for change. Just sympathy. Oh. You all got that? Did you ever notice how hurting people gravitate to people that are hurt? And here's what they do. Oh, you're not going to punch me, right? They go... Oh, honey, I can't believe they did that to you. And then you know what they do? Come on, man, we need to pray. Father, would you just come and comfort him? And it sounds so spiritual, and it seems like it's God because we think it's compassion. 
You're empowering Him to stay there. You're not asking Him, listen man, I hear what you told me they did, and I'm sorry people make those kind of mistakes, dude. But let me ask you this, why are you letting it hurt you so bad? Why are you so affected? Because that has nothing to do with you, your life, your day. Man, you're letting this matter way too much. I'm concerned for you, buddy. Don't let what they did decide who you are. Jesus already settled that, man. And then you pull Him out of that thing. See, He doesn't need a prayer of sympathy. He needs a ministration of truth. Because honestly, He don't want you rubbing His head and kissing Him on the head. (laughs) You enjoyed that too much. (laughs) I feel that. You enjoyed that so much. See, I don't know his personality and I don't know you guys, but you really like that. I know. (laughs) Thank you, man. You had no idea what was coming. But I got your approval. You said you wouldn't punch me. I believed it. So I took the extra mile. (laughs) If I knew I might get struck, I wouldn't have kissed him, but it was fun. But do you follow my drift? We, we go to the home group, and it seems so right, meeting in the home. It's good, right? But we know Sister Sally's been struggling. We know her husband. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes the sweetest woman in the church, she like loves Jesus more than anything, and you mention his name, and she weeps, and she's like precious. Like, you ever meet these people that are like Jesus people? Like, and like she'll walk by a flower, it ain't even in season, and it'll just open. You know? And she's the one that has the husband that don't want nothing to do with God, who treats her mean and doesn't even appreciate the gift He has in her. Did you ever see that scenario? Well, you know what it does? Because of all the facts surrounding it, it makes us angry. And we see her as a victim, and we feel sorry for her, and we see Him as a bum or a villain or a creep or a jerk. So now we can't even pray for Him effectively because we're mad at Him. And we can't even minister to her because we hurt for her. And now we can't help her. Here's what we do. It's our best effort, and it doesn't change things. I've never seen it change things. We're ready to leave the home group. Everybody's hugging. The food's all eaten up. The worship was great. The Word was awesome. And before they leave, one of the people says, Sally, honey, how about house things at home? Do you need prayer? And Sally goes. And now you got your answer. It's still happening. And little Sally, bless her heart, you hurt for her. For real, you hurt for her. But there ain't no amount of sympathy is going to change things. And here's what we do. We say, oh Sally, it must be so hard. I'm so sorry you have to endure this. Put up with this. We're just believing God's going to change him. Honey, you've got to try to hold on. I know sometimes you just feel, no, honey, it's okay. Listen. Oh, baby. And we call that compassion. Because we're hurting for her. Because we understand pain. Because most of us have some pain. Some of us know how we'd feel if we were in her shoes. So we relate to her. When you relate to her, you really can't help her when you're understanding where she's at in the sense of that would be me too. How can you help her? 
The best you can do is pray a sympathetic prayer that sounds spiritual because you mention God and ask for peace and comfort and da-da-da. And the best Sally can do is go... And the best, highest grace you can receive is the fact that you care. But it doesn't change a thing. It doesn't empower her to go home. It doesn't empower her to face her husband. It doesn't empower her to be okay. You say, well, damn, what do you do? You kneel down in front of her while she's sobbing and you say, honey, I'll be as sensitive as I can. I am truly sorry that your husband makes the choices he makes. That he devalues you and says things that a man ought not say. And now she's really sobbing. And your eyes fill with tears because you realize it's real. And you say, but sweetie, I need to encourage you and challenge you in a few things. Listen, where he's at has nothing to do with what you can enjoy and walk in Jesus. Your life is not limited to the spirituality of your husband. Your life is limited to your valid relationship with the King Jesus. And you cannot afford to let where this man's not decide where you are. You don't have to be broken. You don't have to be a hurting woman. You do not have to cry yourself to sleep. There is actually a way to cry for him. To feel for him without enabling him. There is a way to see the love of God for him through your own very own eyes. And then you begin to minister truth to her And now Sally's finding strength in the truth. All of a sudden, the hurts are being challenged. The unforgiveness is being... Because you think she's so sweet, there ain't no unforgiveness. But man, it's there. And all of a sudden, Sally is finding strength in the Lord. Because until then, she's not even herself. She's quiet in the kitchen. She hears the door come in open because it's time for him to get home to work. Fifteen minutes before he's home, she's already worried. What's he going to be like today? Is this going to be another day? Is he going to be happy? Is he going to be mad? Is he even going to say hi to me? It's all going through people. So when their husband walks in or their spouse walks in, they're not even themselves. They're a quiet mess waiting to see and read the barometer of their spouse. And then their spouse comes in and they hear a loud door slam and then they hear and just speak going back to the back room. And all of a sudden her heart fails. And she's weeping and she knows it's going to be another long night of anger and frustration and no fellowship. That's what happens all the time in people. And they show up in church and they're desperate for that to change, but they don't understand they can be strong in the Lord in the midst of all that. They don't have to be in this place where they're vulnerable, waiting on their spouse to respond in a proper way. They can be outspoken sometimes without being overbearing. Hi, honey. Welcome home. Hope you had a great day. Yeah, a great day. Like I had a great blank and bleeping day. What do you care anyway? Oh, I care, sweetie. I'm glad you're home. And then you don't push it after that. You just keep doing what you do. But little notes and things of kindness coming out of your heart. A little note written here and there. But just you living free in the midst of their mess is so convicting to a spouse. But it's rare. As a pastor, it's very rare that I see that walked out. I usually see people nothing more than a product of where their spouse is and isn't. It's like a tag, you're it. And if the spouse is doing good, the spouse is doing good. If the spouse isn't doing good, the spouse isn't doing good. I refuse to live that way. My wife doesn't owe me a thing. You say, Dan, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, We've got to stop comparing all these stories and thinking we're going through the most hell. 
Everybody's got problems and stories and stuff in their history. We've got to stop comparing it all. We've got to stop saying, well, you don't know what I've been through because what you're saying is, I'm excusing myself from hearing what you're saying. Okay, so now what you're saying is tomorrow's yesterday because nothing will change anyway. Are you with me? Come on, man. My wife was in the worst identity crisis while I was a full-time pastor and it lasted eight years and she wouldn't even come to church where I pastored because she was so introverted, insecure, and felt condemned. And I'm her husband preaching identity all over and I can't even minister to my wife because she'd look me in the eyes and say, you're supposed to tell me that. It doesn't mean it's true. And I'd say, sweetie, it is so true. You are so much more than what you're believing. And in eight years, I don't know what it's like to call you guys and say, you better pray for me, man. Things are getting tight. If she don't change soon, I ain't gonna, I can't last much longer, buddy. I got enough on my plate. I got people pouring on me. The last thing I need is my wife not running with me. She's supposed to be my helpmate, my support. She ain't doing it. And I'm ready to fall apart. And if God don't do something soon, I'm going to fall apart. Don't even know what that would look like in my life. When she's messed up for eight years, all I do is love her more because she's lost. She's hurting. She needs help. She needs Jesus. He's in me. Now's not the time to be a frustrated husband. Now it's time to be everything I say I am. Everything we sing we are. Everything we say. I don't have a problem in those eight years when my wife's in that situation She's in trouble. I don't have a problem. She's in trouble. See? I know countless people that won't make it through eight days or eight weeks of that without a blow-up, without rightness, without arguments, without shout-downs. You need to get a grip, honey. You need to come out of this thing. You don't even realize what you're doing to me. I'm carrying this weight. I'm pastoring a church. i got people wondering where you are and how you are. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm trying to explain you and talk around you and protect you. You need to just come out of this lie and mess and stop serving the devil and get back with God and start loving me. No! Man, I feel this in the room. Come on. You man up with me. You be strong with me and handle this. Come on. You guys okay? We've heard all that language. Sometimes we've counseled that language as ministers. Well, you just don't know if somebody's going to change. You can't affect their will. If they choose that way, you just gotta, sometimes you just got to move on. You just got to... Man, if Jesus talked like that, you're toast. I'm toast. <coughs> Hello? If you can't find that attitude in Him, then why is it permissible in us if we're made for His image? And He said, as the things I do, you'll do if you believe. See, we didn't learn that mentality from the Lord. We learned that mentality living in selfishness through the fall of man. It came by sheer instinct. The language came naturally. You felt like somebody owed you something from the time you had comprehension. You could be hurt from the time you can remember. Because that's all you had in Adam. But now you're in Christ. Are you hearing me? 
I don't know how to change my mind because there's nowhere that says I should. You say, eight years is a long time. Truth doesn't know time. Heaven, earth, it's all passing away. But my word will remain. Come on. If I said I love you to her in the beginning of the eight years, then why would love be any less at the end of those eight years? My Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. That love covers a multitude of eight years worth of sin. It says overcome a harsh word with a kind word. Be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not the fighters. Not the issue oriented. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they are the sons of God. Come on, you call your day of issues over. If you're married here, you make a choice right now. That I'm done with animosity in my home. I have no need to be right. I'm done disrespecting my spouse, controlling, manipulating with emotions. I'm done shouting them down, belittling them, and being negative. Yeah. And if you're married, don't elbow your spouse when I'm talking to you. You're a dead giveaway. I'm talking to you. Because <laughs> you're listening to this sermon for them. That's a giveaway. Self-centered. So you've gotten no good out of this. You're just holding them accountable instead of your own heart. See, it starts with me. I hold myself accountable, not my wife. I'm not going to stand before the Lord someday and say, oh no, wow, you really are all that. Whoa, really? I see it now. Duh. You know, Lord, I'd have really done better if it wasn't for my spouse. <laughs> like, I mean, how many times did I pray to you? Like, why didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you change her? You know why you're laughing like that? Because it's silly. It ain't going to happen that way. So if it's not going to work then, why would you let it work now? Why would you lull yourself to sleep and let it work now? If it ain't going to work then. Do you understand the honor of love? That no matter what's going on with my wife, Love doesn't change her value and always makes a draw on her potential and never takes personal her deficit. Wow. Why? Because I love you isn't do you love me. I love you is I love you. And that's all it says. That's why God never changes. Whew! Preaching the gospel, my friend. <laughs> changed my life. The gospel changed my life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I don't even need people to agree with me, and I'm not being arrogant. I'm not saying, well, I don't care what you think. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm convinced in the things I'm saying because I've walked with him. I've lived with him. I walked through the eight years. I walked through the years when my son was drug addicted and my daughter took off and made bad choices. Everybody's home now. Our family looks like heaven on earth and everybody's doing amazing. But I'll tell you what, if you don't understand what I'm preaching in that season, you become a statistic. 
you live with a hard heart for years and you blame your current life on all the mess of your family and you say stuff like, well, I really wanted the Lord and I was trying and nobody else wanted Jesus and they all just took off and I'm so mad and hurt and God didn't even intervene and I'm confused and I don't know where He was. That would be a sad story. You ever hear that story from anybody, Pastor? Do you ever hear that, Greg, from anybody? Stuff like that? Isn't it amazing how that's the way we're geared? Feeling sorry for ourselves, all about us, and justification for where we're not or where we are. Don't you live your life that way and stand before Him someday and go, oops, you catch it now. I know I'm aggressive. I know I probably look like a madman to you on the outside. I know I probably look a little strange at times. Don't you let that keep you from hearing what I'm crying out from my heart. Don't you be distracted by my mannerisms and my passion. Hear what I'm crying out of my heart. And don't you have any reason on this earth to be offended. Don't you start fires unless they're God fires. You put fires out. And don't you throw logs on the one you're praying to be extinguished. <laughs> we're praying for God to quench fires in our life and then we're throwing logs on it with our words and our actions. We're praying for our spouse to change in the bedroom because we're insecure and need him to love us and then we're watching him like a hawk to see if our prayers are working. Zero. Stop praying that way. It doesn't even pass through the drywall. <laughs> I promise you, they're self-serving prayers. They don't, they're not in the bowls of incense before His throne. Those prayers don't even pass through the ceiling. They fall right to the ground. Heaven never hears them. There's two times prayers aren't heard and answered. When they're prayed without faith and when they're prayed amidst your own lust and desire. When you're praying for your sake, instead of His kingdom's sake and the sake of others, your prayer falls straight to the ground. You need somebody to teach you that. Because we tend to pray for our sake often. When I was lost in my marriage and wasn't saved, and my wife was freshly saved and trying hard and taking the kids to church, and I didn't want nothing to do with the church. She prayed for me for 13 years to change. 13 years to change. I, I was mean, bad, terrible husband. Nothing was ever good enough. I felt like I didn't like her most of the time and I didn't even feel like I liked my kids most of the time. 13 years she prayed and cried and prayed. And after 13 years she said, I'm done with this man. Her sisters were divorced, so she never wanted to be divorced. She didn't want to follow the statistic and be another. So she was determined to make it work since we got married. And that girl went the extra mile. What a good girl. I never saw it. I never appreciated it. But now I see it. Oh, my goodness. Talk about laying down your life and giving your cloak and tunic and trying to keep peace when I was so out of order. <laughs> Coming together with me because that was added stress if that didn't happen. Giving herself to me just to keep peace, not because she wanted to, just to keep peace. How long can you do that and stay okay? 
you got the courage to give up on me and our marriage and tell me that she wanted out. And I laughed and said, finally, you've come to that place. Because I've been wanting out for a long time. And I don't know why I wasted my life with you anyway. I can do way better than you. I think you're half crazy anyway. And I just mouthed her like you wouldn't believe. You say, I can't even picture you like that because I'm born again. <laughs> I don't have to try to not be like that. That's not even in me. <laughs> Yay. So she was so hurt by me and so mad I could see her harden herself when I was talking like that. We were on the back porch and I just let her have it. I wasn't going to let her be one up on me. If she was going to initiate the divorce, I was going to throw it in her face and belittle her and make her know that I was extremely happy about it. And I could see her just harden herself and say, I'm done crying because of him. And she walked away. Get it? She gets in the bedroom, analytical, analytical, human, thinking. She gets in the bedroom. I'm so done with him. I'm so done with this marriage. That is it. We are getting divorced. I am done crying. I'm done being stepped on and hurt. I am out of this thing. And then she looked up at the ceiling and told me she did this. And you, I am done with you too. I prayed to you for 13 years. 13 years I prayed to you, and you've done nothing. You have allowed me and these children to suffer through hell, and you've done nothing. I don't need you either. You ever hear people talk like that? Rationalize like that? That means they never had covenant in the first place. They were a Christian for their sake, not his name. On the night she got delivered, we were apart five months trying to live in the same house to save finances till everything was done. It was the most awful thing I've ever experienced in my life. We wouldn't talk to each other. We wouldn't look at each other. We'd use the kids. We'd put the kids through hell. She'd walk in the door and I'd slip out the back and wouldn't say a word. I'd come back a day later, two days later. I'd never say a word. As soon as I'd pull up in the driveway, she's slipping out the side door, getting in her car and just taking off. And then we just lived that way for five months. It was absolutely horrible. And all of a sudden, I go to work and get born again. In the aisle, by the Spirit of the living God, without any human being around. For seven weeks, I'm changed. I called her the night I got saved. She was at home smoking a joint with a young girl and drinking a mixed drink. My wife! You don't know how crazy that is, but that's absolutely insane! My wife! She just can't even picture it. She's sitting at home. It'd be just like my husband to come home one of these days and say, I found the Lord. And the girl that's counseling her, 10 years younger, I called her a biker chick. Because I was jealous of her because she walked around in little string bikinis and she'd do her flowers facing the road with her behind. <laughs> and motorcycles would pull up on the weekend and not leave. And I was probably just mad I didn't have a motorcycle. Because I was lost. And I used to say I didn't like her. 
But I'd peek out the garage blind and check out to see if she was pulling weeds. Before I was saved, <laughs> I got so changed when I got saved. I used to go to the swimming pool with my kids. We'd join the pool and take them to the pool, and I didn't even play with my kids. I'd just sit there and look at everybody's wives and see who was perfect. Just being honest. My wife knew it. She hated me for it. I didn't care. Now I'm saved. I go to the pool. I'm so in love with Jesus. I'm playing with my kids. People are going, what happened to you? You're not the guy that came here the last two years. I said, you're right, I'm not. What happened to you? Jesus, He changed my life. I'll never be the same. He took selfishness out of my heart and He showed me new eyes to see my kids and love. And da, 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 da. And four weeks saved. I'm at the public pool. Four weeks saved. I got towels all around me with parents and people sitting, asking questions, talking, praying for people. One month old in the Lord. And they see Jesus in my life. They're asking if I'm a pastor and I'm four weeks old. People all around my blanket all summer long. Can we sit beside you? It's so good to hear you speak. Can we ask you a few questions? Will we bother you if we pull up our towel? Come on, guys. My whole place was surrounded with people because they saw the change. My wife fought me tooth and nail. She's drinking, smoking, telling this girl, be just like my husband. While she's saying that, I'm getting transformed by the Spirit of God at work. (laughs) Fifteen minutes after she made the comment, I rang the home phone. She said, hello? I said, hey. She said, what do you want? I said, I don't even know why I'm calling. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm just, oh my goodness, Kim, God is real. He's real. Click. My wife is so sweet, so quiet, so timid. That night when I went home, she was a wildcat. I don't even know where the button was, man. It was like... (laughs) She was like that Wolverine dude. (laughs) Like when I walked in the room, the house, she was waiting. Standing there waiting. (laughs) She's like, you fool. You make me so angry. I pray for you you this and you that, and you wait till it's over, and you try to pull something like this. You're just trying to make the family think I'm the witch and I'm the bear girl, and it's all my fault. And you're trying to come out smelling like a rose. I know you. And, and I'm standing there going, in my heart, God's real. God's real. I don't even know what's going God's real. And I go to my bedroom because He's real. I close my door and I be with him. For seven weeks, I be with him. She told me she went completely out of her way. Stretch your mind. She went completely out of her way to break me, break my heart, and prove that I was a hypocrite. She wanted to catch me in one thing that didn't look like Jesus. One outburst. One accusation. She could go, aha, and relieve her own convicted conscience. Seven weeks, 150 times she tried to go out of her way to break my heart. And I didn't have a heart to break. I had His heart. And His heart has lasted the test of time.
And it's in me now. And I was just a few weeks old and I'm at work, Chris. And I'm getting visions of my wife and details and where she's at and exactly what she's doing. Visions. Seeing them. Weeks saved. Three, four weeks. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord. She's so hurt. That is so not my wife. Oh my goodness, God, have mercy on her. Father, I just thank You for having mercy on my wife. Oh, thank You, Father. About three days in or four days into these visions, the Lord said, hey, do you know why I'm showing you these things? I said, yes, so I can pray for her. He said, I'm showing you because I can. I'm showing you because I can. Meaning I'll only respond like Him. Because if He told me those things before, I'd have been a madman. I'd have been hurt. I'd have been angry. I'd have had rights. And then He began to reveal to me, there's so many things I want to show my people and instruct and help, but they won't hear me through me. They'll hear me through them. And they won't respond like me. So I can't invite them in. And I felt so honored that God would give me these visions so I could pray and not be caught off guard and respond just like Him. Because what He was saying to me is, your heart's become one with me. And when I tell you these things, it's like telling myself. It was in that season when I got the revelation. He said, Dan, I can tell myself anything. You become one with my heart and you're in. Isn't that fun? Seven weeks in. Seven weeks in. My wife goes to the bathroom to do her hair. She's got a little curling iron plugged plugged in. She's prettying up. She's got plans. She's doing something. A couple days before that, she left to go be with her sisters and she was going to... They were... At that time, an hour and something away from the house, she was going to be gone for days. And she told me she's leaving. And I said, okay. She left. About six hours later, she snuck back. She's coming in the back. She parks down. She's sneaky. Because she's trying to relieve her conscience. She wants to walk in unannounced and catch me in some posture that looked like the old me. She wanted to catch me in a tone towards my children that was yesterday. She wanted to see me sprawled on the couch watching garbage yelling at my kids to shut up because I can't hear or get out of the house. Or you ought to be glad I let you live here. That's how lost I was. I'm sitting there. She sneaks in the back as quiet as a mouse. She's a little thing anyway. She just sneaks in. She peeks around the corner. I'm in the living room. I see her face come around the corner. (laughs) And I go, are you okay? She goes, I'm fine. And she just storms up the stairs. And then boom, 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 out and left. She told me she yelled at God the whole way to her sisters in the car. Screamed at God. It's not fair. Why? How come? Because guess what she caught me doing? I'm sitting Indian style in the living room with the book of Psalms open teaching my 10 and 5 year old the power of worshiping Jesus. Yeah! Woo! Holy Ghost. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, she caught me all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a few days later, she goes into the bathroom. She gets a curling iron. And the Lord himself walks into the bathroom. Just like he owns the place. Just walks right in. Hurt, hard-hearted, unforgiveness, anger. No, he's mercy and compassion saying she's deceived and she don't know what she's doing. And this girl's a whole lot more than what she's living right now. He walked right in the bathroom like he owns the place. And she said she went because it was undeniable that he was standing there. And she just dropped her curling club and froze. He said to her, I love this story. He said, Kim, why are you so angry with that man? Separating me from what she was angry with. That man. Can't you see? And she said it was like somebody tore something right off of her eyes. Years of unresolved. Years of conflict. Years of hurt. Years of pain. She said it was so overwhelming. He said, can't you see? That is not the man you're angry with. In fact, Kim, that is not even the man you married. Watch what he said. <laughs> he said, I have made him a brand new man. Watch. Boom. She's on the ground. She's balling. Fetal position. He hovers over her. And now he's making peace with her rant. Remember her rant? 13 years. He hovers over and he says, it's true, Kim. You prayed to me for 13 years. But you have no idea and understand how you tied my hands from moving because you only prayed from pain. You never prayed because of love for your husband. You prayed because you were hurt and couldn't take it anymore. And you knew if I changed him, your day would be better. You didn't pray because of love. And I will never answer that prayer and empower you to stay there when it's not who I am. Now you tell me how many spouses have prayed for their spouse because of pain, hurt, because they can't take anymore. And it's self-centered. And what you're saying is, if you don't change them, I can't be okay. And he's saying, what kind of idolatry is that? I thought I'm enough. Come on, I hope you're listening. He said that to my wife. Who knows that I was wrong for 13 years? Who knows that I was a wretch of a husband? Did I make that clear? Who knows that I owe her a sincere apology? Who knows on a talk show she's a victim and I'm a villain and everybody sides with her, poor thing, right? Oh, yeah. Who knows that she don't owe me a thing because I put her into the mess? I never loved her. I was a bad boy. I forced her hand. Who knows? But watch what happened. When God talked to her like that, she got up off the floor and ran looking for me. I'm out in the yard working beans in the garden doing another row of beans, another rotation. I love to garden. We can, we're canners. I got 300 jars on my shelf, man. I love it. Blessed is the fruit of my ground. 
I look at my beef master tomato plant, and it's got 128 tomatoes on one plant, and I got 20 of them. She come running out. She's running. I hear the door. Boom! I look, and there's my little tiny wife coming hard. Crying out of control. And I thought she got a bad phone call. I thought somebody died. I thought we lost somebody. I thought it was tragic. She's running at me. She don't come at me. She's been all... She's coming. But I can hear her talking repetitive. Repetitive. And when she gets closer, I hear what she's saying. Guess what she's saying? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I go, poof. And now I go, so for the first time in five months plus seven weeks, I'm holding my wife. And she's wrapped around me and we're bawling. It's so emotional, it was an ugly scene. (laughs) Stuff everywhere. Seriously, it was bad. Turn off the video. You got fluids where they ain't supposed to be none. It so bothered me that she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. What is she sorry for? I live like a rat, man. I never loved her. I was mean and insensitive and selfish. And I dried up her cup and drained her battery. She ain't needing to be sorry for nothing. I didn't pursue to live like Jesus for one single day in my marriage. And yet she's crying over and over and over how sorry she is. And I tried to stop her, Pastor. And I said, would you stop it? That's bothering me that you're saying you're sorry. You have nothing to be sorry for. Are you kidding me? I provoked all this for how long I've been waiting to hold you and tell you I'm sorry, but I didn't know when the time was, but my heart was ready. Kim, I've never... She said, stop it. I am sorry. And it was like our first argument right now. (laughs) It wasn't an argument at all. It was so powerful. I said, what could you possibly be sorry for? It was the revelation. She took responsibility for her own life. Got her eyes off of me. All of a sudden, she's not a hurting wife. All of a sudden, she's not sorry for herself. All of a sudden, she doesn't need sympathy. She doesn't need a partner and a friend to accommodate her in her pain. She heard from the Lord, and it stripped her out of every lie. So guess what she said? She looked me right in the eyes, and she said, I said, what are you possibly sorry for? She said, I am so sorry for never loving you in prayer. For 13 years, I prayed for you. But it was never because I felt mercy towards you. It was only because I felt pain. And all my prayers were selfish and self-centered and protecting of the kids. And God couldn't move because it was all about me. I never loved you in prayer. And she fell on me bawling like she was the worst of sinners. And I'm like, And I said, listen to me. I said, I am so sorry for never allowed you. And I said, listen, God was giving me visions. And I know a lot of things. What do you know? I know this. I know that. How can you know that? You can't possibly know. I know everything probably. Because God told me he could show me because he made my heart to love. She said, oh my God, you can't know this. I said, I know everything probably. I know this, I know this, and this. She said, well, this changes everything. I said, it changes nothing. That's not who you are. You were a hurt girl. You were blind, but now you see. Welcome home. 
I love you. And we never talked about nothing again. She fell into me crying and I held her. I felt so sorry for my life and what I drove her to and what I I was rocking her and all of a sudden I just said to her, she said, you mean there's hope for our marriage? And I pushed her away. I said, honey, for the first time in my life, I can look you in the eyes and be for real and say, I love you. I said, can I renew my wedding vows to you? Right there, spontaneous baby. <laughs> I didn't know this was happening. I didn't have baggy eyes, staying up all night, crumpling papers, trying to be eloquent. It just came in me. The Lord. Can I renew my wedding vow to you? She said, huh? I want to renew my wedding vow to you. She said, Okay. I took her little shoulders and looked into her little brown eyes. Everything about her is little. <laughs> I, I said when we got married, I had a little trailer, a little red car, a little yellow truck, and a real little wife. <laughs> everything in my life was little. Now, I know I'm in Texas where everything's bigger, but where I was in Pennsylvania, everything was way little. <laughs> and I held her little shoulders. And this is what came out of my mouth because it was coming out of my heart. And I had a revelation that I probably couldn't teach at the time, but I somehow understood. Here's what I said. You'll catch it because of our talks today and yesterday. You owe me nothing in this marriage but to receive the love of God from me. And as long as I draw breath on this earth, I will serve you in His honor. And she said, okay. <laughs> and then I said, wait, I want to grab a pen and paper and make sure I write down yours. No. She fell into me and cried and I just held her. You see why those eight years weren't a struggle? Because I already became what I vowed. Eight years of her dysfunctional believing and living doesn't erase her potential and purpose in love. She needs help, not frustration. Come on, guys. You be challenged. I didn't know where we were going tonight. Are we okay? You getting some? I'm not rambling, right? Okay, because all of a sudden I felt like, oh my goodness, am I even making any... We all right? Okay, so because this one little story is in my heart yet, and then we'll close. Are you sure you're ready for one more? Can I share one more? Let me just suck you all in and get permission. Can I give you one more story? Because this one's intense. This one's intense. I thought I knew the heart of God until this happened. And then I said, wow, now I know the heart of God. And I probably still need to see it more. This man and lady was in our church. And they just kind of got into life. And they had two children and life and work and dishes and laundry and unresolved conflicts and going to bed angry. And just life, man, was unfolding. They weren't keeping track in their spirit. They weren't Jesus. They were coming to church, but they weren't doing Him. You with me? 
So she's feeling things as a woman. He's feeling things as a man. Nothing to do with Jesus. There's teaching out there that say man has needs, women have needs, God made us this way. No, no, stop. Adam made us that way. Stop blaming your life on another person. Well, they're not doing what I... They're not speaking my language. They're not meeting my needs. Stop being deceived. You're making your life conditional on another person. And his name's not Jesus. It's deception. Not Christian. I know that's strong. I'll probably get in trouble for being that forthright. Somebody will email me and they won't be happy. I promise you, it's right. Because when you look at the fruit that other mentality is producing, you can't find kingdom. And you can't find life. So she gets on the internet and starts chatting around and talking on the, on the computer. They're not fellowshipping. They're not sitting and talking. They're not going out to eat and taking their kids to mom's. They're just existing now. She's not pursuing Jesus. So now she has vacuums and she has needs. and So does he. She gets talking to this guy and this guy's saying things she needs to hear and things her husband isn't saying. And that's somehow that works. She files divorce papers ASAP, hands them to him, has them served to him, totally shocks him, no communication about it. Says, I'm in love with another man and I'm flying to go live with him. Never met him, just talked to him on the internet. He came to me, falling apart, freaking out. I don't even know what's going on. You got to talk to her, man. She said she's getting on a plane, she wants a divorce, and she's leaving, and she's going to go be with this man, live with this man. So I tracked her down and sat with her, and she looked at me real monotone and stoic. I said, Dan, you're not talking me out of it. I'm in love. He hasn't given me anything that I need. And I said, whoa, whoa, where are you at spiritually, honey? What happened to Jesus? Like, when does that ever become your reason to walk into darkness and sin and depravity? And it's not your answer, honey. It can't even be love. It's, it's emotion. It's sentiment. It's you being driven by your vulnerability and your need, sweetheart. It's not love. You're, you're, you're licking a wound that's going to create a greater gash. That's the pastor. That's a pastor. And she said, well, I'm doing it. She said, I've been good all my life. It's about time I have some fun. Fun. You're going to get on a plane and give yourself to a man you don't even know and call it love because you're hurt and wounded in your marriage? Doesn't sound like an answer, honey. and It doesn't sound fun. Well, I'm doing it. Took off. About five days goes by. He busts into the office. He comes to the door, and man, is he crying. And I'm like, uh oh. Here we go. I got to love him. I got to understand, but I got to be his pastor. I'm not being mean. I'm not being cynical when I say this. I care about that. I wish it wouldn't happen. I I don't like when people make those decisions and put each other in those pickles, man. The kids pay. Everybody has to walk through it. It's uncomfortable. It's yucky. And and I can cry about it with you. But not long. 
I'm serious. It's not a joke. I'll give you 20 seconds, 30 seconds. I'll cry. And you'll know I care, but I can't stay there. Because staying there is not going to change anything. I mean, I'll be sensitive to... I'll, I'll weep. I've been in those situations. I've been fresh in adultery situations. I've been in houses fresh when it happens. And they're falling apart and wailing. And I'll weep with them because it's real and we've got to walk through it. But let's get with it. I've been in all this stuff. He's coming through the hall. He comes straight to my office. My door's closed. I got a lot on my desk and I'm hanging up. I think I was on the phone. I said, hey, I got to go. I'll call you back. I got something going on here. And I'm thinking, here we go. I got to be sensitive, but I got to be strong with truth and I got to love him the whole way through this thing. Jesus, you got to help. He busts in the door. He was sharp. He busted in the door and he already knew what I was thinking because he said, don't worry, Pastor, my tears aren't what you think. Because I thought he was. I said, okay. He said, no, I heard from God. I said, what would you hear? He said, well, you haven't seen me for the last five days or heard from me because I've been shut up in my bedroom. And I've been screaming and crying and pulling my hair and punching the walls. I haven't had no appetite. I haven't been eating, doing nothing but just screaming to God at the top of my lungs. I said, what are you... He said, God! How could you let this happen? God, you've got to bring back my wife. God, what's happening? God, how could you let her leave? God, you've got to bring her home. He's freaking out for five days. The Lord must be patient. Because five days goes by. And the Lord comes in the bedroom. He said it was majesty. Like the majestic Lord came in the bedroom. And He said, would you stop praying that way? Watch. Watch. He said, you don't have a problem. He said, I was never so mad in my life at any individual. He said, I heard the Lord say loud and clear. He said, it sounded audible to me. Would you stop praying that way? He called his name. Would you stop praying that way? You don't have a problem. And he said, the veins were popping out of my neck as I screamed at the ceiling. What do you mean? I don't have a problem. Is this joke to you? I don't have a problem. I have divorce papers. My children don't have a mother. My wife is in the arms of another man. And I don't have a problem. That's what he said. And it's real. And he's factual. But it's analytical. It's like my wife. And God stayed as calm as could be. And said, it's exactly what I said. You don't have a problem. Your wife. And then this is the connotation he gave his heart. How is it that I can live inside of you and for the last five days you only have the capacity to cry for yourself and never consider the state of her soul? Now you tell me that ain't God. But the church itself, we have a hard time swallowing that testimony. And we feel for her and give her permission, or him, and give him permission to be whatever. And God saying, how can it be so that I live inside of you 
And all you can do is cry for yourself and never consider the state of her soul. And it set him free. And he come running to me crying because he's no longer a prisoner to her sin. And now he's free. And now he can function. Now he can get out of this thing and be a daddy again. A while later, she showed up because things didn't work out. He met with her and had lunch. And told him what God said. And told her what God said. And said he loved her. And she said, how can you love me after what I did? He said, love's not conditional when it's in the kingdom. God changed my heart. I don't see what you did. I see you as my wife. So they got back together. And then found out she was pregnant from somebody else. And he said, it doesn't matter. I love you. We'll raise the baby as our own. Love is unconditional. I bet he heard from the Lord. That sure beats me, myself, and I. And I can't believe they did that. And they done me so wrong. And if you've been and done as wrong as I am, you'd understand why I'm so mad. Yeah? But you show me any life that's ever come out of those things in that language. But I'll show you life that came out of that story. How is it I can live inside of you all these five days and all you can do is cry for yourself? Pretty strong question from the Lord. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how we're sure people owe us something when we're called to be loved? She ain't stepping on me like that. I ain't going to be nobody's door, man. I ain't going to enable her sin. You don't even know what you're saying. You're still ranting because you're thinking for yourself. He didn't enable no sin. He revealed the love and heart of God. And he brought redemption into the picture. You with me? Sure beats being a statistic and having a sad story. Here's the truth about our stories. That's why I showed no sensitivity to what we've been through. I'm sorry. I've been through enough too. I... Here's what happens if we're, if we're all hooked up to our story. We'd have to go around the room one by one and hear everybody's story and decide who's been through the most hell. And then what? Turn around and sing it's all about heaven? It's irrelevant. Don't let your story keep you from the truth. It does no good to say, yeah, but you don't know what I've been through. You're doing yourself injustice because the person beside you might have been through twice the hell. See, I was in a service preaching like this one time, and it was so intense, it was ridiculous. I turned into a madman. You say, oh, I've seen that. No, no. This was over the top. And in my mind, I was saying, Lord, I feel like I'm being almost controlled right now. I can't stop this. This feels too strong. It's going to hurt somebody. I don't like this. My mind was saying that and I'm preaching like fire about our past and letting it matter and it doesn't matter what you've been through and bam, bam. And this little girl sitting right about here went into convulsions. Little Spanish like girl, just convulsions and she threw up and she was being delivered. It was intense. I said to two ladies, just hold her. Don't pray over her too much loud. Just hold her. God's doing a work. She'll be fine. This is Holy Spirit. She'll come out of this fine. And I just kept preaching. 
If I'd have known her story, I would have never been able to say a word. I'd have been in fear and trembling. I didn't know her story. God knew her story. And He just wasn't about being quiet. I didn't know her story. If I knew her story, there's no way I'd have preached the way I was preaching. I was already bothered. I felt like it was too harsh and too straight. Guess what her story was? She was six years old walking her little puppy in the the jungles in South America, Guatemala. And she heard screams in her village. Her parents turned Christian, teaching them Jesus. She's got 11 siblings in a jungle village. And she's the little one. She's walking her puppy right outside the edge of the city in the little jungle following her little puppy. And she hears screams. And she runs. And she freaks out and crawls in a bush. And she said she was holding the mouth of her puppy. Six years old, she watched men with machetes execute her dad, her mom, and all of her siblings. And then she watched them string them up with cables at the gate of their city, little village, on a cable, string them up, dad, mom, and according to age. And lifted their voice and said, let this be a sign to all of you what will happen if you ever consider this Jesus that they've served. And they all walked out of the village. And there's the little girl. And her whole family is hanging by cables. Executed. Now you think you have a tough story. But you probably haven't been through that. Why'd she go into convulsion? Because when I was preaching, can you imagine if I knew the story? I would have never preached that. I'd have been afraid to preach that. I'd have just wanted to hold her. And I'm preaching like a madman and I'm in front of her almost the whole time. Guess what happened? She's hearing me preach and the Spirit of God came upon her. She's been hard and hurt and angry at God. She's got her life into all kinds of things because she's bitter because why did God let them kill my parents? Why did God let them kill my siblings? I lost my whole family because God didn't save them. She's six years old. She's growing up with this. Nobody's helping her. People are probably don't know what to say to her. Now she's 20-some years old. She's in convulsions. She already threw up everywhere. She's sobbing. And then I asked her when it was all settled, what's going on? She said, I just got a revelation today. And then she told us her story. Well, everybody's speechless when she's telling the story of the execution. And I'm waiting for the punchline because I'm like, this is tough. And she said, and today when you were preaching, I realized how deceived I've been. I've been mad at God for so long because I've said He let this happen. She said, but today I realized I didn't lose 11 siblings that day. She said, 11 siblings didn't die that day. I realized today 12 died. She said, I've been dead since that day. And I've been deceived. And I've allowed what the enemy did to my family to take me as well. And that is the end of those days today. Because today, I have turned my heart back to God. She had a serious sickness in her body. She had serious symptoms. When she went into convulsions and threw up and all this stuff, Everything was gone and her symptoms were gone and she had no disease. God ain't playing. 
he talked so aggressive and so intense that I wouldn't have had the gumption to say those things if I knew her story. But God knew her story and knew exactly how to reach her heart. And, and, and opinionated people said, well, you need to be more sensitive. Maybe God was being very sensitive to her and insensitive to the lie. And he delivered a young girl that day. Bam. You with me? Good. Okay, I got a little later tonight than I was last night, but it's funny because I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. You guys getting something out of this? And that ain't so you cheer me on and go, yay, and I feel better. Are you taking something with you tonight? There is nothing I preach since I've been in town that you can't live if you wrap faith around it apart from any other conditions or factors in your life. There's nothing I preach tonight that you can't personally give yourself to even if the people around you want nothing to do with what I'm saying. In the end, you are going to have to answer, what did I do with him when I heard him? What did I do with this gospel? Please run well. Please go after him. Please guard your heart. Out of your heart flows the issues of life. Please don't give anybody the power to dictate who you are and how you're doing. Let Jesus settle that. See how he sees you like we sang, righteous and redeemed and free. (sighs) Wake up every day in that place so that you can look through clear eyes and see people for who they're called to be, whether they're living it or not. Yeah? Yeah? I want to do something. I wasn't even thinking of this, but I'm thinking of it now. So it's not my fault. If it doesn't work out, blame Jesus. No. <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> if it doesn't work out. <laughs> Who enjoyed praying for the sick last night that was here, huh? Was that fun? I'm going to do something tonight. And then at the end, I'll release you guys to pray for anybody that needs prayer for any other things. But this is a specific thing tonight, okay? It's a passionate thing in my heart. I do it a lot. I see a lot of people healed and set free from things, and it's amazing to me. The mercy of God, I never get familiar with it. The mercy of God is humbling. He doesn't judge you for where you've been. He judges you for what you've become. You can't go back and change a thing you've ever done. So why don't you let it die and let God meet you right where you're at today? You can't make up for yesterday. You can't go back and change one thing that you gave yourself to. But who you are can change. And you can let Him change your heart. And when that happens, God will never see you for where you've been. He will see you for what you've become. Are you with me? Now this is what I found out over the years and realized it was a couple years into my salvation when it got big in here. First time I ever preached it was at New Life for Girls. I was sitting in my desk and they asked me to come in the year 2000 and preach in their chapels and it's 2019. I go once a month. All these years from 2000 to now I go once a month no matter how much I travel I go up there and make sure I preach to young girls. He said, I want you to take redemption in there. And he said, I will redeem and I will restore. And girls started getting healed of hepatitis and STDs. We started seeing cutter scars disappear from people's bodies. I saw four or five suicide attempts, butcherings, vanish. 
vanish because of redemption. Here's what happens. People live their lives in the flesh. They get deceived. Sometimes they're a Christian. You say, well, why is this a special order call? Because sometimes people think they deserve what they have. Because they say, I should have known better, or I knew better, and did it anyway. So they take that responsibility upon themselves and carry the thing that they invited because it was their fault. Hello? Mercy triumphs over the goodness of God leads us to change. What would affect you more? To carry the STD and use it as a testimony of the day when you this, and now I know better, and hey, this is my mark to bear, da-da-da, or God just takes it when you know you earned it. What would change you more? <laughs> you already know the answer. I've noticed that people get saved. And then they're still carrying the things that came upon them in their former life. And I don't like it. I think we should talk about it, attack it, and command it to get out of our people. It's called redemption. People think they deserved it. We say you made your bed, you sleep in it. Well, brother, you reap what you sow. Well, that's true to a point, but when you repent, you reap what he sowed. It's true to a point, but when you repent, you reap what he sowed. He made a brand new bed, super clean sheets, crawling in sleep. He robed you with garments of salvation. He clothed you with righteousness. Here's what the Bible says. If any man be in Christ, he's a... It's 2 Corinthians 5, it's 17, it's there. If any man be in Christ, he's a... Old things, behold, how many things? So what passes away? Everything before him. What becomes new? All things. You get it? Whoa. So, if someone was a prostitute and promiscue and shooting a needle and that thing caught up with him and bit him, and now they have hepatitis or HIV or HPV or something. But now they're born again. Are they a prostitute anymore? Are they a heroin addict anymore? When they stand before Jesus through the blood, will prostitution ever even be mentioned? It's as far as the East and the West separate. See, forgetfulness, it won't be there. So if God won't judge them for where they've been, then why is where they've been judging them? If old things pass away and all things become new, why is it still judging them? Maybe because we don't understand it has to go. Maybe because we think we earned it or deserved it or should have knew better or had conviction and sinned in willfulness. That might all be true. But at what point does repentance kick in? And even if you learned a hard lesson, you learned a lesson nonetheless. And grace is greater and mercy triumphs over judgment. The gospel doesn't give you what you deserve. It gives you what he paid for. Now, I've seen countless. You see how passionate I am right now? I got a little passionate last night. I, I told you Jesus was going to come in the room and do all kinds of things, didn't I? Yeah. 
I didn't look nervous either, did I? Why? Because it's His nature. I know Him enough to make those statements. You see how passionate I am right now? Because this is business. This is, this is real. I can't even count the STDs that have left people's bodies. I can't count the hepatitis that has disappeared. I get emails. I just trust they're true. Why would they send them? They're not asking anything in return. I get emails about HIV and AIDS after these kinds of services. I just met a girl who last year when I was there at the recovery center who's an intern now preaching to new students. She stood on the beach of Florida as we were baptizing girls. And she said, are you telling me God can take AIDS out of my body? I said, honey, He raised Jesus from the dead. <laughs> and she fell on me and wrapped her arms around me and was weeping. I said, are you a prostitute anymore? No. Do you do heroin anymore? No. If you could go back and change your decisions, would you write a new script? Yes. Then I'm not talking to the girl you're talking I'm talking to the girl that's changed. And I just held her on the beach. Father, thank you for the redemption of the blood of Jesus. Something so simple. But I, I understand what I'm saying, so it means something. It's so simple, but it's not simple. He paid for it. She has to go for her quarterly exam, turn of the year. She's on the AIDS list. She's positive. They keep track of folks. They monitor you. They make sure you're not living loose. They, you've got responsibilities when you're positive. Can't be sleeping with nobody without consent and verbal acclamation that you have positive HIV. It's, it's illegal. She goes for her test and they said, your test is negative. And she said, Amen. <laughs> so the government tests you three months in a row. You have to be negative three months in a row and they'll, then they deem you negative. February, negative. March, I get the email. Negative. Completely removed from HIV list. No HIV in her body. I went there this year and saw her. She's lit up like a light bulb. She's restored to her 12-year-old daughter who is in love with her mama who said she thinks I'm a cool guy. The little 12-year-old. Mom, he's cool. Hmm. <laughs> Adults say I'm weird. Kids understand. Right on, right on. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! And all I saw was a picture of redemption. Here's what we're going to do tonight. If you brought anything into your life and into your body through a former life and former actions, if you've hurt yourself through your conduct and your decisions, it doesn't matter if it was willful, it doesn't matter if anything. What matters is that today sitting here, you say, wow, I see it now for what it is. And if I knew then what I realize now, I wouldn't have been there then. And if I could go back and change things, I would, but I can't. So I'm going to trust He changes this. Are you with me? I know people that hurt their organs in lifestyle decisions, in 
lack of temperance and indulgence in things. There's people that hurt their memory, their concentration, their long-term, short-term memory. There's people that got mad and went out and binged and they've never felt the same sense in their mind. There's stuff like this happening in people. There's people that went out and just got a little higher than they ever got before and they just knew it affected them and something's not right in there. Are you with me? There's people that hurt livers and kidneys. There's people that have things in their blood because of places they've been and things they've done. But the truth is now, they're being restored. They love God. They're born again. These things have to be confronted by us, the church, and be told to leave. They're legalists. They won't leave unless you expose them with truth and tell them to go. Uh, I'm telling you, I've seen this a lot. And we're going to see it tonight. Are you with me? So I need you to be humble. I need you to be real humble. Somebody want to play something for me? Strings? Keys? I don't need a whole lot of help. I just need somebody just give me a little music here. Just something sweet, something pretty. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, little buddy. I get to hear you play. Yeah, just something soft and sweet. Just, just. Here's what qualifies you for coming up here other than the blood of Jesus. You sincerely saying, if I can change, if I could change what I've done, I would change. But I can. But I believe you love me. And I believe you forgive me. Thanks for making me whole. When you say, if I could go back and change it, I would, you're no longer the person that did it. You're the person that changed. That's how simple it is. And I've seen it a lot. You're in this room. You got anything in your life. You'd be amazed how many there are. Don't you sit in your chair and act ashamed. Thanks for breaking the ice and getting up here, my man. No, that's good. Just receive His love. If you've got anything in your life, anything in your body, anything in your blood, anything in your organs, because of former decisions, you come up and receive the mercy of God. If you cry, you cry. But don't cry the wrong tears. Cry because He loves you. Cry because He forgives you. Cry because you have His mercy. Get up here. If you need to be up here, don't you not come. Don't you be ashamed. Don't you think what somebody's going to think. It's nobody's business. Everybody in this room practically has done things that deserve a mark. Some people just didn't come out with one. There's no mercy out there. Some people did things a hundred times and didn't get marked. Somebody did it twice and got hit for, for life. It ain't fair. It ain't mercy. It's darkness. It's, this, it's the realm you weren't created to live in. Man, I'm proud of you guys. Thanks for coming. Come on, don't you stay in your chair if this is you. Don't you be afraid of what a friend's going to think or a family member. You get up here if this is you. You know if it's you. Your heart's pounding. Get up here if your heart's pounding. I'm waiting for a few. Look, i got plenty to pray for, but we want everybody. I'll know when we're ready, I promise. Thank you. I love you guys. I respect you. I'm proud of every one of you. Receive His love. Receive His mercy. Let your tears be good tears. Tears of redemption. Because you know now that if you could do different, you would. He's doing change on the inside of you. Isn't that right? If you could go back and do some things over, would you? 
Well, then I ain't talking to the person that went out and did those things. Okay. Now listen carefully. Yeah, thanks. I was just going to say, I'm waiting for three people. And I know it. And I got one. I got two. I got three. Now we're ready. That was good. I was just ready to say three and he got up. Then I said three and you all got up. Thank you. I heard that so clear. He said, we're missing three. Isn't that sweet? I just heard him say, we're missing three. Why did he say that? Because he's serious. I got enough to pray for. I don't need to wait for three. He told me three. Because he don't want to miss a person. Because he's awesome. <laughs> Dude, he's awesome. I'm so proud of you for coming up here. You just thank God right now, every one of you, that he loves you and forgives you and believe it. He loves you and forgives you. Some of you, I'm telling you, you're already healed. It's just, I just know when you come up here, it already things happen. Thank Him that He loves you and that He forgives you. Thank Him that He's not mad at you. Thank Him that He'll never bring up where you've been and what you've done. Thank Him for changing your heart and changing your life. Come on, thank Him. Stretch your hands to these people. They're your, they're your brothers, your sisters that are humble. Humility brought them up here. Your tears are awesome. That's awesome. Good, healthy tears. Father, I thank you for moving right now by the power of your Spirit through every one of these people. Holy Spirit, come right now. Touch every single person. Thank you. Thank you. Make every person whole. Take it all away. Don't let one thing remain. Let the reason they came up here be found no more in their bodies and in their lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing. The redemption of the cross come in this room. Yeah. The redemption of the cross come in this room and make your people clean. Spirit, soul, and body blameless till He comes. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Presence of the Lord, come. Holy Spirit, come. Yeah, right on your people and make them clean. Redemption of the Lord, come in this house. Completely whole. Not one mark, not one trace. Not one mark, not one trace. Clean before you, God. Yeah, godly sorrow in their hearts, God. Repentance in their lives. Clean as if they've never sinned, as if they never lived one day away from you. Absolute wholeness in their lives. In Jesus' name, God, thank you. Father, I thank you right now for what you do. And Holy Spirit, come. Thank you. Completely clean. I'm so proud of you guys. You have no idea. Separated today from yesterday. Spirit, soul, and body. In Jesus' name. Let your love come and touch your children. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. do me a favor if you're up here. Lift your hands to Him. Even if you're kneeling, just lift your hands to Him. Would you please? Yeah, it's just a sign of yielding. Just lift your hands the best you can. I know some of you are, are, are feeling a little wiped out or down. Or, just lift a hand and just thank Him for loving you. 
Thank Him for making all things new. Thank Him that you're leaving here changed, that your heart is His. Come on, make your vows to the Lord. Thank Him for being so awesome, for giving you more than hope, restoring your future, your destiny, your purpose. Thank Him that no matter how far away you ran, nothing is lost because He's the Redeemer. Thank Him that you have more than hope in Him. Thank Him for the restoration of your lives. Thank You. In Jesus' name. God, we worship You. We'll do this a little different than we did last night. I know it's getting late. But hey man, it's Saturday night, you know? sitting in your chairs out there who needs physical healing who would say I have something in my body I need to be changed I need it to be healed keep your hand real high look around church you people that are sitting if you were here last night you already know what to do I'm not doing it the same way just go find somebody with their hand up go find somebody and say hey my name's so and so I'm just going to believe for you pray short pray specific and just tell that thing to go just tell it to go go find them go find them Get your hand up. If you need some other kind of physical healing and you're up here, just wave your hand. Somebody will come. But that thing you came up for, done deal. We declare it. In Jesus' name, wholeness in your life. Good? Amen. Yeah. Get your hand up if you need prayer for healing in this room. Go find somebody, church. And go speak life over them. Say, be healed in Jesus' name. Ask them what it is and then speak directly. Believe Him. Holy. You're dismissed. Yeah, if you guys, if you want to slip out, be reverent, slip out. I just love to see the body get activated. I love to see people get involved. Jesus really, really likes it when you get involved. He really likes it. He likes it.